see you guys. Let me give you a, uh, a quote from an article a while back. Uh, it says this, Australians can't sing. They chant. <laughs> so that was in The Australian back in, in uh, 2004. And the writer went on to say, uh, and anthems are useless in a nation of tone-deaf chanters. <laughs> it's a bit mean, isn't it? <laughs> but, but what he's really saying in this article is that Australians just don't love to sing. Um, we don't love to sing. We find singing difficult. And, um, and he, he applied that particularly to thinking about the national anthem. So uh, if you compare, you know, when, when people who are from a certain other country that a certain other pastor at this church is a part of, uh, when they sing the national anthem, they're like, this is the most important words that I'm going to say today, and I'm going to sing it loud and proud. But then you look at the footy at, at Aussie singing the national anthem, and they just sort of hands in the pockets, and they, they mumble their way through it, right? And I, I don't say that with judgment. I find the Australian national anthem pretty hard to sing as well. Um, for example, there's, well, here's a little picture. But uh, this line here, golden soil. Um, <laughs> that's pretty low, doesn't it? And I'm, I'm someone who's pretty happy getting up and singing in front of other people. I find the national anthem pretty hard to sing. And I think that the sort of vibe of that is captured in another article where uh, the lady who wrote it said, I have one prayer as I watch the Australian cricket team sing Advance Australian Fair patriotically before a match. And that prayer is, please don't turn on their microphone. <laughs> and I feel that. I feel that every time I sing this line. <laughs> I, I feel that when I'm singing the national anthem with other Australians. It's, it's like none of us want to lift our voice. And I think that, that part of that is just... Hey, we don't tend to enjoy singing. We're not that kind of nation, right? We're, we're more like that bloke that I had up there before with his, his ears covered. No, I, I actually, this is not something I enjoy doing. Maybe we sing a little bit in the car when no one can possibly hear us. Uh, and then we make sure that we bring the volume down when we stop at the lights. Because what if the window's just a little open and someone... You know what I'm saying? Uh, maybe we mumble our way through happy birthday, but that's about it. We're, we're, not a, we're not a nation that loves to sing. And so what a strange thing that every week, as a group of Christians, we get together in this place and we sing <laughs> in a nation full of people that don't like singing. <laughs> and we don't just sing something for a couple of minutes like the national anthem. We sing for a good 15 or 20 minutes, sometimes longer. Do you ever feel like we could sing less? Do you ever think to, I know some of you are passionate about that, but, but I'm, I'm asking everyone, do, do you ever think maybe, what, what if we did some other things? Like what if we had more Bible reading, right? Because the Word of God, we need more of the Word of God, right? So what if we cut down on the songs, we just had two songs, and we just had more Bible reading? What if we had more time for prayer? What if we had more time to gather together out there and have some morning tea and, and get to know each other better, instead of singing so much, right? What if we had longer sermons, you go, well, I'll choose the lesser of two evils, thanks. <laughs> no, I'll take the singing. <laughs> you hear what I'm asking, right? Have you ever had the thought, you know, why do we do so much of this? And especially if you're the sort of person that, you know, like with this golden soil, you don't like the sound of your singing voice. You don't really like, yeah, carry on. <laughs> you, don't, you don't really like to sing all that much, especially if that's you, right? And so maybe, honestly, and I'm asking just honestly here, you feel like when we start to sing, it's just like, oh, here we go again. And you know, maybe I should just come a bit later 
right? The announcements, the singing, and then I'll, I'll turn up for the prayer. Uh, maybe I can just sort of mumble my way through this or stand there silently and just listen and absorb what's going on. Now, if that's you, you're missing something. You're missing something about why we sing. Thanks for stealing the words out of my mouth, Carrie Ann, because I was about to say, absolutely, some of you know the answer, right? Why do we sing? Worship. We're here to worship God. And I know for some of you, I'm not saying this is you, Carrie Ann, but for some of you, um, that, that answer is like that you feel that, okay? And so when you start to sing, and I see it on some of your faces, like it's, it's just like, ah, oh, I'm here and I'm worshiping God, right? And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. And then for, for again, for perhaps for some of you, um, it's, it's like you feel it so strongly that it makes you want to maybe raise your hands or close your eyes, and those can be good things, that's fine. Um, but it's like for you, the world just fades away for a moment and you're in the throne room of God. And it's like everyone is gone and it's just me and the Lord. So there you go, question answered, Dan. Why do we sing? To worship God and have that moment of just being with Him and the world fading away. And I'm so glad, Dan, that you're finally preaching on this so that everyone else will sing a bit louder, right? <laughs> But if that's you, if that's you and you're thinking, well, the, the reason that we sing is to come and worship and for me to have this moment with the Lord where I enter his throne room and everything else fades away, then you're missing something too. Both groups are actually missing something. Both those who, who sort of find themselves a bit lost when people begin to sing and those who find themselves lost in the moment of worship like the world is fading away. Both groups are missing something. Today, we're going to see what that is. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. Really, we're just looking at one verse, verse 16, and we're going to pull it apart and understand what it's saying about singing. So open up your Bibles there to Colossians 3, and we're going to answer this question, why do we sing? Why do we sing? Why do we sing together? Why do we need to sing? Why do you need to sing? Why do we need to hear your voice? That's what we're going to look at. Let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning in a way that captures both hearts and minds, in a way that lifts us to see you and be grateful to you and fear you and love you. We pray this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. Question, do you think the Bible gives us fashion advice? Well, it, it does, it does. Have a look with me here in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, Paul is telling Christians that they need to change their clothes. So right there in verse 12, and remember we're going to focus on verse 16, that's, that's where we're heading, okay? But verse 12 to verse 15 is the context leading up to Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. And I just want you to see here in verse 12, it starts, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And on it goes, put on then is a command. And literally, this command is put on the clothes. Put on the clothes of compassion and kindness and meekness and humility and so on. It's the same thing in verse 14. Put on, what's it say? Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
Literally, clothe yourself with love. Take off the old, dirty, sweaty shirt of sin and put on the shirt of holiness, the shirt of compassion and meekness and humility and love. And this isn't just advice, mind you. This is a command. It's a fashion command. Take off that shirt. Put on this shirt. And there's another surprise here as well, I think. It's, it's not just that it's advice going to command. The other surprise here is that you know, normally we change our clothes in private, as it should be, right? But here, it's actually a public costume change that Paul is talking about. Uh, and that's because this has to do with how we treat each other. Verse 12, put on compassion. Now, we can practice self-compassion, I guess. But generally speaking, compassion is something that we offer to someone else, someone in need of compassion. Or consider kindness. Again, kindness is not just private. It's, it's relational. It's something that we give to someone else. Forgiveness. Love. These are other-centered things. And so Paul doesn't just have the individual in mind here. He actually has the church community in mind for this costume change, this clothing change. And that really hits home. You can see here in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one what? Have, what's it say? One body. Body. Have a look. If you don't have your Bible open, open it. Have a look. You were called in one body and be thankful. He's talking to the body of Christians in a local church, immediately to the Colossian church, but, but by extension, you who are here this morning, and me as well. The body of Christians in a local place. And so the you here, in each case, is actually plural. As a certain American pastor would put it, it's y'all. Okay? So let the peace of Christ rule in all of your hearts, to which indeed y'all were called in one body. And y'all, be thankful. I sound Southern American there, don't I? And so this body of Christians is connected to one another under the headship of Christ, in the way that arms are connected to torsos, are connected to legs, are in their own way connected back to eyeballs and down to pinky toes. Okay, That's what's being talked about here. The body of Christians in a certain place under Christ who are connected to one another and they're putting off the clothing of sin and putting on the clothing of holiness in the way they treat one another. Side note here. Do not be surprised if you are struggling to put off sin and put on holiness if you are not regularly part of a local church. These are things that are nurtured and cultivated in the community of a local church. Uh, it's an oxymoron to say that someone is a Christian who is not part of a church. That's a paradox. Because the way God wants us to put off the clothing of sin and put on the clothing of, of holiness is together. It's in practicing compassion, love, con uh, kindness and so on that are all other-centered things. Okay. You need to be here, in other words. And if not here, at another Bible teaching church. Absolutely central. But do just notice that, that Paul's, uh, sort of the arena in which he sets, verse 16, is communal. It's the body. It's not just the individual. And so with that in mind, we come to the question, why do we sing? Verse 16. Read it with me. Let the word of Christ... Well, you don't have to read it with me, actually. That's, sorry. <laughs> I just want you to look at it in your Bible. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, in y'all, richly. 
admonishing one another in all wisdom. You hear that? Communal. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in all of your hearts to God. So singing together is just the next point in Paul's discussion of putting off the clothes of sin and putting on the clothes of holiness together. Okay, He says, how do we do that? Well, we, we also do that by singing. We also do that by singing. And so I want you to hear this. Just like the command in the clothing change, the command to put off sin and put on holiness, there is a command here from the Lord. And the command is, make the word of God dwell in you richly by singing. So here's the first reason why we sing. We sing because God commands it. What other reason do we really need? There's enough for us. We sing because God commands it. Have a look again. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, and on it goes. Now look at how that verse begins. Let the word of Christ. It doesn't sound like a command, does it? Like verse 12 and 15 were all commands, but let sounds more like, what's it sound like? Like permission? Like let Jeff grab an extra bicky at morning tea if he wants to. You know, let Lisa and Ruby sit up the back if they'd like to. Let the word of Christ dwell among you if God wants it to. Sounds like permission. But there's something more actually happening with, with this phrasing in the original language. And I think that you, you get a hint of it when you consider something like um, when Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, what's he say? Let him hear, right? Let him hear. Now, is, that, is he just sort of saying, you know, permit him to hear? As if there's, there's some opponent that has their hands over the person's ears and, and Jesus is speaking to this opponent saying, hey, get your hands off his ears, let him hear. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not what's happening when Jesus says those words. What he's saying is if anyone has ears to hear, he ought to listen up. She ought to pay attention. It's actually a command. If you have ears to hear, listen. That's what's going on when the Bible uses that phrase of, of let so-and-so, so-and-so, or do such and such. And so here in verse 16, it's not just giving permission for Jesus' word to dwell among us. It's a command to actively make it happen. And there are some churches, particularly in a particular sort of theological persuasion, that would say, well, you know, we almost have to wait for God to knock on the door and show up before we can worship or before we can sing. That's not what this is talking about. It's actually saying we throw open the doors for God's word among us, right? Make the word of God dwell in you richly could be another way of putting this. God's word is already there. You, you just need to throw open the door to it. It's not passive. It's active. And oh, our hearts are so easily closed to God's word, aren't they? I know it. I'm sure you know it too. We so easily ignore his commands to us. We so quickly cover our ears and run into sin. That's why God gives us this command to fling open the door to his word, not just to wait for him to knock. 
as if we, we just have to permit him to speak among us. No, God doesn't need permission, does he? We fling open the door, we armbar it, we chuck a doorstopper under it, we do all we can so that the word dwells among us and makes its home among us. That's why God gives us this command. And one of the ways that we do that is by singing. That's how the word finds a home among us. We sing about the word of Christ. That's his command here in verse 16. Make the word of Christ dwell among you. Let it dwell among you by singing. Do you want to obey God? Do his commands matter to you? Is he your Lord? I'm sure these things matter to you if you're someone who's in Christ. I'm sure you want to obey God. I'm sure you'd look past something like, I've got a bit of a dodgy singing voice, when actually the Lord commands me to do this. You want to sort of put off the T-shirt of sin and put on the T-shirt of holiness. And, And the thing with that is, you know, holy living doesn't always fit. In terms of you know the t-shirt and and the sizing you know compassion is not always easy to give especially if we reckon someone doesn't deserve it forgiveness is not always easy to give especially if they've really hurt us singing is not always easy to do we might just not feel like it on a particular morning i've had mornings plenty of mornings like that i've had mornings standing up here on stage leading you in singing feeling like that Singing is not always easy, especially if you don't have a great singing voice. Especially if something's happened that morning and you're just going, there's no way I can actually do this. But do you want to obey God? Do His commands matter to you? If so, then sing. And so that's the first reason to sing. It's because God commands it. But there's more to it. It's not just that He commands it and so done and dusted. The second reason why we sing that we see here in Colossians 3.16 is that we sing because we have something to sing about. And there's a principle here behind the way God works. He doesn't just command and then leave us to our own devices, okay? Wherever God commands, He provides. To put it another way, whatever God commands, He enables. Abraham, I command you to make a sacrifice. Initially, that's Isaac, his only son. Then God spares Isaac. Where will the sacrifice come from now? God provides a ram in the thicket. Wherever God commands, he provides. Moses, you ought to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And then you ought to lead them out of Egypt. How will we? The Red Sea blocks our our exit. So God provides the way by parting the waters himself. Wherever God commands, he provides. And so when he commands us to sing, he provides something worth singing about. He gives us the words. And it's something worth busting out the guitar and setting up the sound system and raising our voices and doing it again and again and again every single week. Take a look again at verse 16. What do we have to sing about? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's how Paul begins. Why we sing has to do with what we sing. And I find it actually very fascinating that Paul begins this verse with what we sing before he even mentions that he's talking about singing. 
Singing doesn't come until halfway through the verse. He starts with the content because the content is ultimate. We don't just get together here and sing pop songs, obviously, right? We sing songs about Christ. We sing things that enable the word of Christ to dwell among us. And I want us to drill down a little into that phrase, the word of Christ, because it might be a bit ambiguous. What does that really mean? What does it mean when we, we hear the word of Christ? And, you know, Christ spoke many words. He taught many things. And so does it just mean we should sing the things that Jesus taught? Well, I don't think so. I think there's more to this phrase. And that's because whenever the New Testament uses this phrase, like the word of Christ or the word of the Lord, it's actually signaling a bigger reality. And I want to show you a couple of examples of that and see if you can pick up what that reality is. So Acts 8.25. Look at it in your Bible if you like. I'll also put the words on the screen. Acts 8.25. Now, when they had testified and spoken, here's our phrase, the word of the Lord that is of the Lord Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So this is in Acts. It's the early church preaching, proclaiming the gospel. The apostles were preaching. And what were they preaching when they spoke, quote unquote, the word of the Lord? They were preaching the gospel. And you see that there because in the first half of the sentence, it's saying they testified and spoke the word of the Lord. And in the second half of the sentence, similar verb, preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So it's not just the words Jesus spoke, it's the message about the Lord Jesus. That's what the word of the Lord is. You come then to Acts 13, verse 48 and 49, similar thing. When the Gentiles heard this, they heard Paul preaching that, that Jesus had actually come to bring salvation not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. When they heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying what? The word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. What did the Gentiles believe? The word of the Lord. That is the gospel which brings eternal life, the good news about Jesus. And that word of the Lord, the gospel, spread throughout the whole region. And so the word of the Lord is not just the words that Jesus spoke, it's words that speak about Jesus. It's the message about who he is and what he has done for us. The good news that Jesus came not only to speak, but to secure. And so what is this message? What's the good news? What's the gospel? What's worth singing about? We'll come back to Colossians. And before Colossians 3, Paul has already defined it for us. Come back to chapter 1. And I want us to look at verse 13 to 14. Listen to what God has done for us through Christ. These are beautiful words. He has what? Delivered us. Rescued us. Plucked us out. From where? From the domain of darkness. The darkness of slavery to Satan. The darkness of slavery 
to sin. The darkness of the dread of hell and God's judgment. The darkness of the despair that we could do nothing about it. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and done what? What's it say? He's transferred us. He's plucked us out. Where has he transferred us to? To the kingdom under a new ruler, under a new rule, free from the darkness of sin, free from slavery to sin and Satan. We're under a new rule. The rule of whom? His beloved son, in whom we have redemption, rescue, freedom, restoration. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Because Christ took our sin, our rebellion, our rejection of God, the dirty, sin-soaked clothes, he wore that shirt himself on the cross. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was judged. He took our hell at the cross. And then, having died, he rose again and put upon us his shirt of righteousness and innocence and freedom and restoration and purity. This is the good news of what Christ has done for us. And all of you who believe that good news are wearing that shirt right now. Praise the Lord. Do we have something to sing about? There it is. <laughs> verse 21. I just, I'm, yeah, there's so much here. Let me give you verse 21 as well. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Again, do we have something to sing about? Do you have something to sing about? Do you recognize that this was you? Alienated from God because you were hostile to him. You hated him. You were stuck in sin. You were a slave to Satan. Do you recognize that? Are you confessing that to the Lord? And are you presently clinging to the feet of Christ? Are you presently trusting in his work done on the cross for you? Are you wearing the t-shirt? If not, then the stuff we sing at church is going to be meaningless to you. If so, this is the best news ever. Of course we want to sing it out. See, what happens when people who've got this truth get together is they sing. It's what we do. So come back to Colossians 3.16. Churches sing because they want the word of Christ, the gospel, to dwell among them, to make its home among them, to dwell in us richly, capturing us, our imaginations, our heads, our hearts. Music does that in a way that words alone simply don't. That's why singing is so special. It makes sure that the Bible is not just staying inert on a pew. It's opened, it's preached, it's proclaimed, it's believed, it's sung so that God is worshipped. I was at the Mariners game 
uh, about a week ago. I don't know if uh, you were there as well. Here's how it looked. There were 20,000 odd people there. It was a record for the stadium. There, there were so many, weren't there, CK? There was... Oh, did you? Used to. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I was there. Oh, brilliant. You wear it to church sometime. <laughs> I'll wear mine as well. Uh, 20,059 odd people, I think. So it was a record. Huge amount of people. And, and we were there. We were there with a friend and, uh, and my mom and my dad. And uh, what's really interesting is that at a certain point in the match, there's this brass band. Have you seen these guys? They, they come around and they start playing like the Tetris theme and, and all these funny songs. And people just start sort of singing along. Uh, and we, we got to the point where uh, it became clear that the Mariners were going to reach the grand final. First time in 10 years, right? Long time. And you just, you, as this band came around, there's an excitement in the stadium. And people begin to sing. And first, it's just sort of the chants, like, you know, Australians that sing, they chant, uh, Mariners, clap, 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 Mariners, clap, clap, clap. But then the band starts coming around and they're playing the Beatles song. You love this, Graham. Um, we all live in a yellow submarine. <laughs> we all live in a yellow submarine. Yellow sub that, and that's, that's what people are doing. Now, what's that got to do with the Mariners? I guess they're yellow. That's about it. Right? But you've got this stadium, 20,000 people that are busting out yellow submarine of all things because they're so excited that the Mariners are going to the grand final. And so, you know, a stadium full of people are singing a song that is semi-related to what's happening on the field because they're so excited that the Mariners have reached the grand final. Christians have so much more to sing about. And we have songs that are not just semi-related. That's <laughs> the word of Christ. It's, it's actually singing the truth of what the Lord has done for us. And so singing, verse 16, we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, that's just Paul's way of saying many kinds of songs about the gospel. Okay, Psalms. Ultimately, the psalms pointed us to Jesus. Right? If you go back through and, and start looking, where, where are the times when you know, the, the stone is skimming off this star, psalm and then it's looking forward to another prophecy, but then it's looking forward to the coming of Christ. So many, okay? Psalms that point us to the gospel. Hymns. Now, remember, Amazing Grace wasn't around when Paul wrote Colossians, so it's not talking about songs from 50 or 60 years ago or 300 years ago, for that matter. Hymns just means a song about God. That's all it means. Hannah sung a hymn at the birth of her son, Samuel, because she was so thankful to God. Um, uh, Mary sang a hymn when she gave birth to the Lord Jesus. Uh, Paul sang a hymn as he was in the Philippian jail, uh, crying out for, for deliverance, but also sitting with contentment and knowing he was in the purpose of the center of God's purpose, right? These are the hymns, the, the discography of the Bible. So we sing these things about the gospel. The departed saints in Revelation sing a hymn before the throne of Jesus. Man, if you don't like singing, you're not going to like the new creation, sorry. And so psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that is just songs that bear witness to the Spirit's great work through Christ. In other words, we sing many kinds of songs about the gospel. We sing in a pretty like, thick and, and, and wide register of songs. And we do so with thankfulness in our hearts to God because of the great treasure we have. And that's why we can say that the word dwells in us richly. It, it finds a home among us because of the rich treasure that we have 
That's why it dwells in us richly. And so there's the second reason why we sing. Because God gives us something to sing about. The good news of the gospel. Sinners saved by the blood of Christ, then this news dwells in us. And so we respond with heads and hearts captured by how God is when we sing. There's two big reasons. Got one more for you. The third reason why we sing, well, the first, remember, is God commands it. The second, because we have something to sing about. But the third is we sing to build each other up. And this is where we start pushing back just a little bit on that idea of privatised worship, that idea of, of just me with the Lord and it's like everyone else in the room fades away and I'm just there in the throne room with him and that's, that's the main thing that's happening right now. No, we, we sing to build each other up. Look again at verse 16. There's a little bit we've been skipping over, you might have noticed. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. Here, Paul describes singing as teaching. Do you think about that when you're singing? You're a teacher. You're teaching us. He describes singing as admonishing. That is warning. Warning people about sin. Warning people they need to repent. Calling people they need to chuck a yui, as Rob said a couple of weeks ago. Warning people to take off the old clothes, put on the new. Do you think about that when you're singing? That you are teaching and admonishing. See, often we think of teaching and admonishing and warning. Those are the things the pastor does. That's the thing I'm doing right now, right? I open up the Bible and I teach all you guys. Now, I'm the only one maybe who's doing this right in the moment, but it, should it just be the pastor who sings? In the words of Paul, may it never be so, right? <laughs> teaching and admonishing is, sure, that's my role right now, but actually that's all of our role in the church body. When you sing, you are partially fulfilling that role. It ought to, also ought to filter into our conversations with one another, but when you sing, that's part of what you're doing. You are teaching and you're admonishing one another. You're teaching the gospel. You're calling people to respond to the gospel. And so a couple of implications of that. The first is that the content of our songs really matters. Just like the content of any teaching really matters. See, when me or Rob teach from the front, we don't just come up with sermons at the last minute, right? As if it doesn't matter what we say. I remember talking to an ex-pastor once who shocked me. He said, um, Dan, how do you prepare to preach? And I go, oh yeah, you know, I sit down for somewhere between anywhere between 10 and 20 hours to produce something like this, okay? And I sit with God's Word and I pray and look at the commentaries and think about our people and do all this effort and pray again and here we are. And he goes, oh, geez, what a waste of time. I go, what do you do? And he goes, well, basically, I, I get up on Sunday morning and I, I get in the shower and then I open the door from the shower and then you know on the mirror how there's all the condensation? I just write three points up there and I go, that's my sermon. Now, I think he was having me on a little bit because he knew how many hours I put into this thing. But, but that's, you know, we don't do anything even remotely like that. We wouldn't even make that joke because we are putting so much effort into what is taught here at church because the content of teaching matters because the gospel matters. Truth matters. 
We do not want to tell you the wrong thing. We do not want to misrepresent God. We do not want to deny from you the whole counsel of God's word, right? And so the content of our songs really matters because when we sing, we teach. And songs can so easily get stuck in our head, can't they? They have a real power. In fact, way back in early church history, there was a guy, Arius. Uh, We looked at this guy in equip class a little while back, if you can remember. And Arius was a heretic, okay? He uh, didn't believe in the Trinity. He actually said that Jesus is not God, the Holy Spirit is not God, it is only God the Father. Uh, Jesus is something like a created being. So really wrong, in case you've heard that and thought maybe that could be... No, heresy, okay? Not Christian teaching, not biblical teaching. But the stroke of genius that Arius had was he set that idea to music, So he made ballads that the kids could sing out in the street and that the sailors could sing as they were out working on the boat. And the the historical sort of impact of this is that the whole Roman Empire went to sleep one night and then woke up the next morning surprised to find themselves Aryan. They found themselves denying the Trinity. Why? Because the songs had captured them. It had captured their minds. Their kids had started repeating and learning it. It captured their hearts. Oh, maybe this is true. I didn't really think about it. It just happened because of the music. What we sing has incredible power. And one commentator puts it this way. I am convinced that congregations learn more theology, both good and bad, from the songs they sing than from the sermons they hear. Sermons are important, very important. But songs are powerful. Music reaches the mind and the heart at the same time. I would say so does good preaching, but music does that so much easier. It has the power to touch and move the emotions, and for that reason it can become a wonderful tool in the hands of the Spirit or a terrible weapon in the hands of the adversary. Challenging. This is why we sing the songs that we do here at this church, okay? And there are songs we don't sing, but there are songs we sing. And there are songs that... I think you can have confidence in that are equipping you to teach the truth to each other when you sing them. We're not just Googling whatever is the latest popular Christian song that might give us an emotional pick-me-up, right? Um, Ethan actually has just began leading our worship ministry. If you're not aware of that, he's doing a fantastic job. And, um, and he has a huge role in choosing some of the songs. He, he goes out, researches, finds, and then... We sit down as elders together and we we nut him out and go, is this what we want to sing? And I guarantee you, Ethan, I I know how he does this. He's not just Googling whatever is the latest Christian song that's popular that other churches are singing, okay? Both he and, and us, we're looking for songs that are rich in gospel, that take us through the big story of who God is, the gravity of his character, the majesty of his holiness, the wonder of his love and grace for us, that we sinners who are alienated and hostile towards him have been saved by grace through the finished work of Christ. He's looking and we're looking for songs like that. All right, so you can have confidence in the songs that we sing because what we sing matters. And hey, look, singing is a great way to teach. You know, I've got to spend 10, 20 hours producing this thing. You can rock up on a Sunday morning and the work's done for you, or at least half of it. The words are up there on the screen. The other half is that you sing. Okay? So sing, because we're teaching.
And that brings us to another implication of singing as teaching. See, we don't just sing to God. We sing to one another. We are teaching and admonishing one another. Um, Paul says a, a similar thing to Colossians 3 in Ephesians 5.19. I'll just pull it up on the screen for you here. And if you're in a growth group, we're going to look at this, this verse in a bit more detail this week. But I want you just to notice the parallels here. I've actually colored them for you so you can see them. That in Ephesians 5.19, um, it's saying, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Yeah, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. To the Lord with your heart or with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see the parallels there? Really clear. Um, so yes, we, we do sing to the Lord, right? Ephesians 5 says that. We do sing to the Lord. There's vertical worship happening when we sing, and there ought to be. We are responding to the Lord and the great gospel that he's, he's worked for us. But we're not just singing to the Lord. We're also singing horizontally to one another as we teach and admonish one another. Both these verses say that we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So singing is both upwards and it's outwards. And someone who just sort of gets lost in the moment of worship without any sense of the people around them is missing that. They're just singing vertically, which, hey, that's good. They're totally missing that horizontal outwards dimension of singing. They're a bit like a, a bodybuilder, okay? Uh, I showed Nigel the PowerPoint before the sermon here and he looked at those guys and he goes, man, they're swole. Don't know if you use that word, swole, like just swollen with muscles, right? These guys look really strong. But the thing is, before a bodybuilding competition, it's the sort of one where people get up on stage and they're like, like that. You say, I can't do it. But these guys can. They get up and they've got these huge, bulging, hulking muscles, okay? But before a competition, to make their muscles sort of like pop like that, they dehydrate themselves for like a day, two days, sometimes longer. Uh, and so if you read interviews with these guys... Uh, about their, their sort of experience doing competitive bodybuilding. Um, they say, I'm at my weakest when I step up onto that stage. Right? I'm totally dehydrated. I can't lift a thing. And so it's all actually just show muscles. Some of these guys actually, when they get up and they flex, they pass out <laughs> because like, they've got so low blood sugar and blood uh, what is it, the, the sodium content in their, their body that they just can't, some of them can't even walk up the stairs onto the stage and they have to pull out from the competition. So even though they look really strong, they're muscles that aren't actually doing what muscles are meant to do. It's just show muscles. And for someone that we see maybe, and it's good to raise your hands, it's good to close your eyes, great, please do that. Um, but, but you might look at someone and you might go, they're doing this and they've got a big smile and, and they're singing to God and, and for them it's like they're just in the throne room, no one else around. And you might look and you go, they're spiritually very strong. But it's just show muscles because you're not actually lifting up your brothers and sisters, which is what those spiritual muscles are given to us to do. It is not just that we are in the throne room alone with God. It is that we use the spiritual strength, the gratitude for the gospel, the growth in holiness and sanctification to lift each other up. Right? You with me on that? Is that clear? I think this is such a crucial point that we, we really miss. And again, it is fine to raise your hands and close your eyes and all that. It's great. But if that's you, don't lose the bigger purpose of why we sing. Teach your brothers and sisters 
admonish them when you sing. Practically, how could you do that? Well, one thing might be open your eyes for a moment and look around. Who are you singing to? Get a sense of that in the room. Another thing you might do, uh, and this goes for everyone, uh, there's a condition that Christians sometimes struggle with called SDD. Have you heard of this before? It's called screen dependence disorder. We're so worried we're going to miss the words. What if you looked away from the screen for a bit and just sort of looked around the room at who you're singing with and who you're singing to? Even if you miss a word or two, that's okay. Someone else will pick up on it. Another thing you could do if, if you're one of these people that, that maybe just finds yourself lost in the moment of worship, um, if the words you sing bring someone to mind, like maybe you're singing about a, a certain aspect of God's character and you're thinking, Mary would just be so encouraged. I know what Mary's going through at the moment and she would just love to know that God is for her. Wow, that would just be beautiful for Mary to know or for Rhonda to know or for Petra to know. Um, sing it louder, Right? And again, this is not just because you're singing to God, it's because you're singing to one another. So really drive that point home as you sing. Looking outwards, not just upwards. One last implication, then we'll finish. Do you struggle to sing? Are you struggling to, to do more than mumble your way through a song? Hopefully you can see already that you know, uh, God commands us and and he provides for us, and he gives us something to think about, all of that. But, but here's the thing. God is actually calling you to teach. You, person who's tone deaf. You, person without a pitch-perfect voice. You, person who hates the sound of their voice. He's calling you to teach. And imagine if I got up here teaching this morning, and I sang, I just talked with a little voice. You would say I'm not teaching, right? Because you can't hear me. So raise your voice. Give me 50 people singing off key compared to 5,000 who are just mumbling on pitch with the songs. Give me 50 people who sing earnestly but a bit out of step with the rhythm compared to 5,000 who are there with their hands in their pockets and totally unconnected with what they're singing. Hear what I'm saying? God has called you to teach. That's the main thing. He might not have given you pitch-perfect hearing, but he has given you a voice. Use it to the glory of God and for the good of your brothers and sisters. We need to hear you. We need to be taught by you. So sing loudly, sing earnestly. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to dance in the aisles, but we need to hear you. Will you encourage us with the truth? Will you sing the gospel to us? Will you call us to repent? Will you warn us about sin? We need to hear you. So, why do we sing? We sing because God commands it. We sing because we have something to sing about. We sing to build each other up. And this is the kind of worship that God is looking for when we gather together. Best way to respond to that right now would be just by singing. And so I'm going to invite the band up. We will do communion, don't worry. <laughs> what we're going to do, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to jump back up and lead us to communion, then we're going to sing again. But I just thought, this is the most appropriate way for us to respond to God's word this morning. I'm going to pray as these guys get ready. Lord God, thank you for your word and for your provision of the gospel and with a voice, however it might sound. And I pray now that we would worship you in spirit and in truth in a way that pleases you because we are people one to Christ, 
brought out of darkness into his kingdom. And uh, I, I pray, Lord, that we would greatly encourage each other in the way that we sing now. In Jesus' name, amen.